Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Serial Killer Podcast, the podcast dedicated to serial killers. Who they were, what they did, and how. I am your Norwegian host, Thomas Viborg Thune, and tonight, dear listener, I have a special treat for you. In my previous episode, The Miranda Murders, you were introduced to Charles Ng and Leonard Lake, two serial killers that operated as a pair in a fashion very much resembling a horror movie. They kidnapped, tortured, raped, and murdered at least 11 people, perhaps as many as 30 or more. Their modus operandi was to kidnap a woman, then drive her up to the Sierra Nevada mountains several hours away from San Francisco. There, in a remote concrete dungeon, Leonard and Charles tied their victims up, taunted them, tortured them, raped them, and finally murdered them before cutting up the bodies and burying them or burning them around the property. If you haven't listened to the previous episode, please do so before continuing to listen to this one. Because tonight, I have with me for an interview none other than the producer of the excellent remake of the home videos that Lake and Ing recorded while torturing and killing their victims. His name is Gil Claveria, and his movie is aptly called The Miranda Murders, with the subtitle Lost Tapes of Leonard Lake and Charles Ing. Please check out my fan page on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash the SK podcast for a discussion, bonus content, 
and frequent interaction with me, your humble host. Also, feel free to visit my website at theserialkillerpodcast.com and, of course, my Patreon at theserialkillerpodcast.com slash donate. Any donation, no matter how small, is greatly appreciated. Of course, being the modern podcast host that I am, I am now also to be found on Twitter under the handle SerialKillerPod, Instagram under the nickname SerialKillerPod, and I have recently created a subreddit on Reddit. You can visit and post to as you please at reddit.com slash r slash the SK podcast. Finally, before we get on with the proper interview, I can now proudly introduce my dear listeners to the one and only official TSK store. Go to the serialkillerpodcast.com slash store to buy exclusive t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even customized iPhone cases. Remember, buying TSK merchandise helps keep this podcast alive, and your friends and family will envy your excellent taste in fashion while doing it. Gil, welcome to the show. It is an honor to have the privilege to interview the man behind such a disturbing and historically accurate film. Thank you very much for joining me here tonight. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. Great. And uh, just a bit uh, practical before we continue, where are you at the moment? I am currently in Santa Barbara, California. Sunny Santa Barbara. I would love to be there because I am in Norway. Yes, Norway. My wife's family's from Norway, so that's a great connection. <laughs> really? Yes. Ah, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, here it's minus 10 degrees Celsius so, uh, and uh, about a meter of snow. So uh, the palms of Santa Barbara is alluring. Yes. So, before we begin, how about you tell our dear listeners about who you are and your background? Okay, my name is Gil Claveria, and I am the producer slash writer of the Miranda Murders Lost Tapes of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. To make it even more interesting, if you do watch the movie, I also play Charles Ng. <laughs> so that makes it really fun. I did notice that when I watched the credits of the film at the end there. And if I do say so, you do make an excellent figure. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I have to admit, I was a, a little bit worried when before we started the interview, because uh, in the movie, Charles has a very, very uh, strong accent. He doesn't sound like he can speak English. Yes, yes. I had to work on that completely. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping that, oh, God, let's not have an interview where I have to ask four times the same question. You know, but for I... your listeners, I could do it in the accent, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I could do it in the Charles Ng accent. <laughs> Please do not. Okay. <laughs> Please have it in American Standard. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Cool. So uh, tell me, how did it come to pass that you and uh, Matthew, is it, started yes. the Miranda murders? Okay, let's see here. I want to say this started off, Matthew Rose Valley is the director, and he's also the writer slash 
actor who played Leonard Lake. And we've been working together for a film festival, a horror film festival in Hollywood called Shockfest Film Festival. Matthew Rose Valley worked for me and I ended up writing a musical and I knew he was such a great actor. I've seen him play Edgar Allan Poe before. So I thought, wow, if Matthew Rose Valley could gain a little more weight, I think he could look like Charles Ng, I mean, Leonard Lake. And since I thought I could kind of pull off Charles Ng, at least slightly, I thought, wow, we should tell a story that no one's ever told before because it's very difficult to make this movie. I feel like it's a challenging film, just you know, subject matter alone. And we wrote the script, we did the research, we read a few books, we got footage, and what ended up happening was we thought, I think this would make a great movie or an attempt to make a movie. And we took different angles and we thought, what's the best way to go about this? And we thought found footage. We thought a found footage film would just be a very interesting piece. And on top of it, we thought, what about the pieces that you haven't seen? And that's creatively where we took the story. We wanted to get into the minds of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. Very interesting. And uh, I have to ask, did you actually have access to the full original Miranda Murders tapes? Yes, actually we did. And it's interesting because one of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that we stayed as close as possible to the truth of it. Again, this gets blurry because there's different, you know, it's a discussion of truth. Just so you guys know my background, I'm a teacher, so I'm a college teacher. And I love discussing truth and truth is always slippery in my opinion. So it's very tricky when you're discussing what truth is. But what we wanted to do was really get this story out on the map. I'm surprised that there aren't many films about Leonard Lake because I find this a very fascinating, fascinating story. It is, uh, it is very fascinating, and uh, when researching my podcast episode, I too was surprised of how little information there were available of, uh, of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. Very little on their childhoods, for example. I usually go right. into great depths into serial killers' childhood to try to ascertain there, uh, if anything happened that caused them to go the path they do uh, as adults, but I only got very few fragments of um, their childhood. So it was a bit of a challenge, actually, to to research uh, the episode, but it, but I got just enough to make uh, to make a proper episode. But um, going back to the um, original home videos of Leonard Day, Charles Ng. Did you see the ones on YouTube, or did you actually get the the full the full thing from um, from storage, or well, where did you get them? We actually got a lot of it from YouTube and everything that was available. And if you watch the film, uh, just for your audience, part of it is we did scenes that, and, and again, this might take away from the mystique of the movie. But we ended up recreating certain scenes, which you probably know about. And that was probably the most 
challenging and most controversial part is actually recreating the footage as bland as, and as bleak as the scenes are. If you were to put the films and the actual footage and our scenes together, we were trying to get as accurate as possible. Even our portrayals in it, even the nuances with dialogue as you know, my accent, for example, or especially Leonard Lake's couch sequences. I noticed that in particular. Leonard Lake, um, he almost comes across as a very early version of one of, uh, of a talking head on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, he sits there in his couch and philosophizes about his desire to have uh, a sexual slave that he can control and, and the rules he's going to implement and how he's going to do it. And, and he talks in a very odd way, very detached, very uh, cold, very devoid of any emotion. And that continued throughout your film, I noticed in particular, because when, when Leonard is uh, punishing his, uh, his victims, he doesn't scream or, or come across as angry. He seems very calm as he's doing these horrible things to these poor women. And at, at first, when you make a movie, I, I was kind of thinking, well, this is poor acting. But then right, I saw, right. Yeah, but then I saw the, uh, the, one of the videos or uh, a brief snippet of it, and it's spot on. It's very spot on. Thank you very much. And that was one of the things that we were really focusing on. I think a lot of people who want to watch a Hollywood film or a film that mainly is for entertainment, I would say The Miranda Murders is not the movie, mainly because we didn't do a Hollywood-style version of it. We made sure that we made a film that after you watch it, you felt dirty and it felt wrong. The same way that when you watch the actual footage, there was always something off about it. And even the monotonous tones of the serial killers we portrayed as best as we could so that we didn't glamorize serial killing at all. Yeah, that's very true. Comes off dirty and, and kind of cheap. Yes. Uh, and, and almost mundane and repetitive. Yes. They have these yes. women and they kidnap them and then they taunt them in this kind of boring way and then they just start, you know, whipping them and uh, raping them and then finally uh, one of them kills them. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not sensationalized, and, uh, and that is respectful. A lot of modern serial killer movies, they tend to sensationalize it and, and uh, almost make it kind of a mythos, elevating the serial killers into superstar. Yes. And, and that was an interesting uh, approach that we wanted to take, not only from the director, Matt Rosevalley, but also from myself as the producer, we definitely didn't want to sensationalize and we definitely didn't want to promote anything they did. We wanted to make sure if you watched anything on YouTube, if you'd watch any documentaries, it would actually fit perfectly in as if you were watching actual footage. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I was so curious about if you, if you did have access to the whole range of tapes, because there were... Quite a lot of them, I think. And I tried to research YouTube, but I only found three snippets. There's uh, the one where Leonard is on the couch talking about his, uh, his plan and his philosophy on uh, kidnapping women and keeping them as uh, slaves. 
there's the, the woman sitting beneath this very bright uh, lamp, complaining about the lamp. And uh, they taunt her, telling her that her baby is uh, sleeping like a rock. I mean, probably buried her baby under a rock. Before uh, they end that clip with Leonard saying, suffer to the poor woman. And finally, you have um, several small snippets of, uh, of a woman trying to play along, going into very graphic detail about how... Uh, she wants uh, Leonard to kidnap some child of 14 so they can have fun and uh, how she has a nice ass and, uh, and, and so on. Uh, so, yeah, that's the only thing I, I found on YouTube. But, uh, of course, your movie goes into far more detail. It's, so it's, it's quite long. So that was very interesting. You know, another interesting part, and, and this is a side note, our editor, Candice Rollins, she was able to get access of more footage. And it's interesting, Matt Rose Valley and her had a small dispute on set and she is actually making another film with the new footage that she was able to access, which is interesting because I feel kind of bad because I wish it was part of ours, but she took it and I think she's in production right now making a piece with the actual footage that you're talking about. Right, so more like a regular documentary than maybe. Right, exactly. And I think uh, this is a very interesting subject. It's relevant, actually, in today's time also. I always thought when it comes to Leonard Lake, he was doing a form of human trafficking and identity theft, which a lot of people are doing today, but he was doing it in the 80s. Yeah, there's, there's always relevance when it comes to serial killers, I find because they tap into the very worst in human nature. And uh, today with the hashtag MeToo thing going on, I mean, these guys, they show what true sexual harassment and uh, rape and, and uh, abuse of women, what, what, is, what it can really be when you, when you go to the extremes. And they were not alone. I mean, the late 70s and, the, uh, and most of the 80s were what I like to call on my show the golden age serial murder it was really rampant women in america especially in america were uh, were targeted in a very large degree uh, and of course it continues today but uh, but it, it was really bad in the late 70s and, and 80s and and another thing about leonard he uh, you mentioned identity theft he murdered men as well didn't he correct he did and what he would do is he would take their identities and then he would use their IDs and he would portray those, you know, the people he murdered. And we actually have that in the film, if you notice. And we didn't change the names of characters like Lonnie Bonds. Like we actually stayed true to even the chronology of the film. Yes, I noticed. It's, it's very well made in that way. It follows from the very beginning and up until they get caught and uh another side note uh, on these poor men that were victims of leonard uh, one of them was called gunnar his surname he was actually his best man at his wedding wasn't he yes they were yeah they were close friends yeah really strange and also 
I think one thing that was very much missing in a lot of the material that I went through, details about his wife. Because in yeah. your movie, uh, the wife, uh, she drives a car, I think. I may be wrong, but I think she drives a car and there's a chase scene. And one of the women almost manages to escape. But then she stops down a car at the cabin, but it turns out to be the wife of Leonard stepping out of the car. Yeah, yes, you know, it's interesting. You're, you're pretty close now. It's interesting you say that because uh, in, in the true story of it, her name was Cricket. Carolyn Belaz was his wife. One of the things that Matt and I found very interesting was that she was not even part of the trial, even though she had information. And we know that there was a connection. If you notice, she didn't serve any time. It was all thrown on Charles Ng. So we wanted to unravel that part of the wife without really pointing fingers saying she's guilty, but her acknowledging and knowing that they were doing this project. And, and for the record, uh, the projects that they were doing, they called it the Miranda Murders, based off of a novel that Leonard Lake really loved called The Collector, where in this novel, he was trying to make the perfect woman and condition her so that she would do the things that he would want her to do. Hence the Miranda murders and the, the girl's name in that novel is Miranda. And that's how we got the title also, mainly because he called the work that he was doing the Miranda Project. And we thought, the Miranda Murders would be a very interesting title to stay true also to the novel, The Collector. Definitely. Have you read uh, The Collector? Yes, actually, Matt and I, when we first started, that was one of the things that we wanted to do. And I think this is why when it comes to the storyline, as a film, it's not as grand as everyone wants it to be. So that was probably one of the critiques. but. As a story, that was the thing that we really focused on as writers. We wanted to make sure the dialogue was as stark and as bleak as the actual footage, that we stayed true not only to Leonard Lake's interest in The Collector, which we wanted to make sure we had overtones from that story, but at the same time, we didn't want to sensationalize at all. There was no way that we were going to make a film that would be in Hollywood piece. We're more fans of serial killer storylines and the mental state and the state of mind that that was the angle we were taking it. So we had zero desire to make a Hollywood film in that sense. Right. And uh, how did you go about finding uh, actors and actresses for this film? Well, actors is you and Matthew, but uh, there are a lot of women playing in. I love that question because this is a challenging movie to cast, especially during this challenging time in Hollywood, <laughs> right? With all the allegations. So to be able just to pop in and say, all right, ladies, who wants to play a victim of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng as sex slaves? It was a challenging piece. I was lucky enough to have a lot of my friends play part in this, and they were excited because it was a historical biopic on one level. And they were very interested in portraying characters from the 80s that were 
true as actors, I would hope would want to do. So I want to say a good chunk of 75 to 80% of the actors I knew prior, I've worked with them on projects prior. And just to do certain scenes, they would have to be able to trust me. I mean, there are, there is a scene there, there's rape sequences where we're actually naked, you know? So that in itself is a challenge where you have to have that trust with an actor and that they knew that we were doing this legitimately. And then on top of it, they read the screenplay and we did table reads. And uh, when we did that, it was, um, they were, they were in, everybody was really excited to be part of this. And they do a very good job because in, um, I'd like to bring out one specific scene, one of the most disturbing scenes. It's the one where one of the female victims, I don't know the name, is sitting in a chair in her underwear. And Charlie is sitting on the floor having her hand in a vice. Leonard mm -hmm. uh, is uh, ordering her to recite the rules for a sex slave, but she gets number six wrong. And this results in Charlie crushing her hand with the vice. And I gotta say, the female actress, she's really good because she looks to be in genuine pain. Was all that scripted or was parts of it improvised? That was scripted. Actually, every scene was scripted because we wanted to make sure the pacing made sense, made sense chronologically. And she's a great actress, by the way. Her name is Joanna Ray. And she's played, if you watch any of her other films, she's just a terrific act, very versatile. And I feel like with that scene, it was very difficult. You know, I, I, I don't, I really believe scenes like that is, you know, it, I'm, I'm kind of reminiscing and just kind of thinking back of that scene. Because right after that sequence, you'll notice it just jumps and she just gets raped. And right after that, because even though she, was, you know, after her fingers were crushed, it just jumps in where, and I, and I hope I don't say this because it's gratuitous on some level. She was just bent over and then Leonard Lake had her way with her. And it was that stark and that cold and that impersonal. Very much so. They treated the women as 100% objects, just yeah. sex objects to be used and abused. And uh, a lot of, sexual psychopaths they they view other people not as humans with emotions and feelings but just as objects they can use for their own entertainment and pleasure yes and that's why i feel like for example we had some reviews from numerous people where they were bothered because of that point that you just made and i feel like most people want movies that glorify serial killers And that was the part that disturbed Matt and I, because we made a film where there is no glorifying any of these moments. It's very bleak and very dark. And that scene that you were talking about with the vice, which is interesting because it's also a foreshadow later, because that's how Charles Ng gets arrested. Because of the broken vice. And that was something that we wrote in knowing that he gets caught by that moment of stealing a vice because they needed a new one yeah that's uh, that's often how serial killers actually get caught or at least yeah. used to get yeah. caught because they they tend to think they're smarter and better than the police 
and but I have no compulsion about stealing or uh, committing fraud or anything like that. So it's often mundane things. Like Ted Bundy, he was ultimately caught the first time because he was uh, he was speeding. It's often uh, often very mundane things, and and the story about the vice and. And Leonard and, and Charles and how they were arrested by this police officer is, is almost funny. I have it in my episode on the Miranda murders. So, dear listeners, go back and listen to that if you want a description. You know, and that's, that's why if you notice, there's that one scene where Leonard Lake in our film, he's reprimanding Charles Ng for breaking the vice. And that one we took poetic license in, but I thought that stayed true to the character. And I thought it'd be an interesting kind of twist in as a writer to add in that broken vice element because they end up, you know, it shows that, hey, we need a vice. Yeah, that, that scene is, is very interesting. And, and I, I really do think it's accurate in how uh, Charles and Leonard, their dynamic between them really was because you have Leonard very sternly telling Charles, why did the vice break? And Charles just keeps repeating, well, I wasn't the only one using it. Then Leonard just repeats, I didn't say who used it. I just asked you why it was broken. And it just goes on and on with Leonard going, becoming more and more agitated. It's an interesting scene. I love it that you were saying that. I, I, I almost felt like I wanted to do the scene with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're lying, you you said it really pretty much verbatim. Like you 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 know you broke the vice, Charlie, as Leonard Lake would say, and then my character would say, "You use it too, Leonard. You use it too." <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, let's not go into uh, to reenact. Yes. The, oh know, yes, yes. Oh, I, I would have loved to do a scene with you. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> let's do you that. You can play Leonard that. Lake. <laughs> Yeah, probably I'm I'm a fairly big guy, but I probably have to gain about a hundred pounds, I guess. He was a he was a very large man. Oh, he was a very large man at that point in his life. And interestingly enough, Matt Rose Valley also gained so many pounds. Actually, I he was close to three hundred pounds when he played that part, Matt did. And if you look at Matt now on his Facebook, he's dropped a hundred pounds almost. Wow. Yeah, so he did it just to play this part. And I remember he went on the beer drinking diet and alcohol diet. So just so he could gain weight quicker. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's dedication for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> He'll love me for that. But I know that that's that's what he usually tells everybody when we're all. So I'm kind of speaking for him, but he's very dedicated. And the next move after the Miranda murders was over, he started running. He started eating healthy and uh, he's looking great now. So he completely did a 180 for his next project. Actually, we're working on a new project. So fantastic. And we'll get back to that towards the end of the interview. Yes. But um, let's uh, let's go back to the movie here, because in the movie, Charles is portrayed very much like the submissive one and Leonard as the dominant one. But considering the guile and intelligence that uh, Charles has shown during his very extensive legal case, yeah. do you think he was really that submissive, or do you think it was somewhat of an act? 
It was completely an act, in my opinion, because even the way we wrote it, we wanted to make sure if the audience were to watch it first, you would think he was, wow, very submissive. But Matt and I were conscious of even the way we wrote it, that there was a mastermind quality behind Charles Ng because he spent years and actually he's on death row right now, but he's been fighting this case constantly over and over again. And there's no way that a man who's been in this court system, even defending himself for this long can be that stupid. So I feel like playing ignorant and playing dumb is a strategy that I think a lot of people who are manipulative do. And that was one thing that we wanted to take Charles Ng as, where he could play the submissive. But in the end, he knew that he was getting benefits from this, not only from having so many women to rape, but also to be in good graces with Leonard Lake. Yes, and uh, a very interesting scene is from around the middle of the movie. And uh, it's again the broken vice. And uh, Charles ends, ends the scene by storming off into a room. He locks the room and then we hear the sounds of a woman screaming. And in the following scene, Leonard says, you murder all my Mirandas. And I know that you said the, the, uh, the vice scene was poetic uh, license, but uh, the following thing about uh, uh, Charlie locking himself in a room with the woman and murdering her, was that based on actual footage, interviews, or uh, is this speculation? I would say it had more speculation, but with our research, I felt like there's so much truth in, again, it, this, is, this is tough because there were many bodies missing and there was many bodies found in the back. So to answer your question, I would say speculation. But yeah, I, I, that, I mean, that would be the straight up answer without getting too deep into like, even like the, the approach that we were trying to take, because we really, really wanted to stay true to the story. So anybody who was a true serial killer fan would watch it and they would know that we're not glorifying it and that it was very bland. We, we intentionally did it because again, Matt and I are fans also with delving into the minds of serial killers. I mean, that's one thing that got us together in the first place. And we thought it'd be a great opportunity to make a film that no one's, or rather very difficult to tackle. Indeed. But um, if we go for your, your theory, well, your interpretation of how their dynamic was in regards to who murdered the victims most and who were the dominant and who were the submissive, you can draw the conclusion that Charlie is the, the one that killed the most of the victims. Yes. And Leonard was only an infrequent killer if uh, the victims did uh, uh, oppose him too much or maybe even just by accident. Uh, and, of course, he was a sexual sadist, but uh, one can uh, speculate that his motive wasn't to kill, only to... Um, to have a sex slave, while Charlie could be said to be an actual murderous psychopath. Yeah, you know, I, I could agree with that. And I think I portrayed it that way as an actor. But as a writer, one of the things that we did do was we took a line from his court trial 
And this isn't verbatim, but he basically stated that uh, in court to the judges and the, and the jury, he basically said, you can't judge me, you know, with these 20 minutes of footage that you found. I'm not sure if you heard that in the trial. It was really famous. You know, like, you can't judge me with these videos that you found me in with these 20 minutes. What we ended up doing is we actually wrote a line in the film. So there's an actual line from the film that we made where Charles Ng says that again, saying, Leonard Lake, Leonard, they're going to judge you if they catch any of these video footages. So we actually took the line from his trial. We plugged it in to the scene when they're driving through San Francisco uh, in the 80s. And we thought that'd be an interesting kind of foreshadow for the story, which again reveals that I feel like Charles Ng knew so much more than he portrays. And with that said, I do agree that his hands have a lot of, of blood on them. Of course, he could play dumb at this point because Leonard Lake killed himself before even getting close to any authorities grilling him on the murders. Yeah, he took uh, two cyanide capsules, swallowed them in the interview room. Yes. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have our burdens to bear, dear listener, and as a man, I was and am often told to suck it up, keep calm, and carry on. Normally, good advice in many situations, but never talking about what bothers you is not healthy. Therapy is great to get things off your chest, to vent, and best of all, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Everyone needs someone to talk to, even psychopaths, even your humble host. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash serial killer today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash serial killer. It's it's quite a horrible way to die. I don't know how people get a hold of cyanide pills. One would think it would be very difficult to get a hold of. 
Right. You know, one of the things one of the things that we researched is, you know, they're both ex-military guys also. And that was one thing that they had a bond in. They also knew each other through correspondence from Fortune, like Fortune magazine, Soldier Soldier of Fortune magazine from the 80s. So they were really into living off the grid and that kind of mentality. So you know, not, not that you could get cyanide easily. I'm not saying that at all, because you're right. It, it is an interesting thing, but, you know, dabbling with black market things or even the deep web these days, I'm sure if you really want something, whoo. With today's internet and, and the dark net, well, you can get anything you want, of course. But uh, yeah, th this was the 80s, before the age of, of YouTube and Darknet and uh, Silk Road and all that stuff. Right. But uh, yeah, probably, as you say, uh, being ex-military men and survivalists and uh, soldier of fortune guys, it's not, uh, it's, it's not inconceivable that uh, he would be able to quite easily get a hold of, of cyanide. One of the first things when we started writing the script we actually started the footage as survivalist videos because he was making a bunker in case the end of the world were to come. So that was one of the angles we started writing the scene. We actually, we have footage of us rehearsing these bunker sequences of building the bunker. And that was an interesting angle, mainly because of the survivalist angle first. And then of course that evolved into the, uh, the torture of women and again treating them like animals very much so it's uh, it's in his diary i think uh, he mentions building the bunker and it has i think he mentions three main purposes purpose one was uh, to be able to survive in case of uh, civil war and purpose two uh, some shelter in case of nuclear fallout and case three being a dungeon for keeping sexual slaves. Yes, you got it right on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, uh, in internet meme language, that translates as that escalated fast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm glad you had that list because that's where we started with the story. And then, of course, then we started doing the sex slave rules, which we thought, really corresponded with the kind of person he was, especially in his diary notes. And that was another way we, we did a lot of, you know, adaptation for the footage that we did. And if you look at it, even though it might just look like home footage, there was a lot of thought behind it because we really wanted to make sure that it paralleled the actual footage. Very much so. All right. And now, on with the show. I looked there for a moment, and uh, because you touched upon a little bit of something that I remembered at the back of my head, I couldn't mm -hmm. really grasp it until the latest moment, and that was why suddenly I was reminded of another serial killer case that was very, very similar to the uh, Leonard Lake and Charles Ng um, Miranda murders case. Have you heard about the toy box killer? No, I have not. Aha. Well, uh, you should uh, check out my podcast and the episode known as The Toy Box Killer. 
because uh, this is a guy, his name was David Parker Ray. And uh, what he did, lived in the American Southwest, he uh, kidnapped women, usually uh, from a bar or from parties where they were coked out of their heads on drugs and stuff. And he brought them back to his uh, trailer that he had converted into a torture chamber. Very much in, uh, in, in line with how uh, Leonard Lake and Charles had converted uh, their bunker into a torture chamber. And uh, he had them there strapped to a gynecologist chair. And when they woke up, he uh, remotely from outside of the trailer started to play a tape where he goes into graphic detail relaying his rules. He had like 20 rules or something uh, that he told his women and uh, what would happen if they broke his rules. So uh, because you you talked about um, going into detail in the movie about uh, the rules that Leonard Lake and Charles Zing indoctrinated their victims with. And uh, something clicked, and then I remembered, hey, Toybox, he did the very same thing. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because I love the parallels. And this actually triggered something in me. And the big thing that got triggered is this. What makes the Miranda murders and Charles Ng and Leonard Lake so unique is they were a duo of serial killers. They did it as partners, as a partnership. That to me is fascinating. Do you know any other ones that did it as a duo? Oh yeah, there are um, quite a few actually. Uh, You have the Moors murders in England. It's a guy and a girl, I don't have the names in front of me right now, but it's called the Moors murders, M-O-O-R-S murders. And what they did was that the woman, uh, she lured young girls and young boys into the car with her and her husband. And they would drive home, the children, uh, repeatedly, uh, the guy would, while she was egging him on and laughing and uh, taking photographs. They would torture the, the, the child and then they would kill the child and drive the child up on the the high moors it's like a highlands area yes. outside of the city and and bury the kids there and they they took a lot of pictures of the woman standing uh, on top of the the graves and smiling and posing and that that sort of thing wow and uh you have in canada uh you have the case of uh i think it's called the um Ken and Barbie murders because uh, there were uh, there's this very attractive couple, both of them blonde, slim, model looks, uh, very successful, upstanding people, but the guy was a really really out there sexual psychopath, and again she would help him get young girls, so he could rape and murder them, and this went on for many years. And this woman that helped him do this, I think her name was Homolka. Yeah, Homolka. She's free. And she has a new husband and kids and everything. Wow. wow. She served like 10 years or something. You know, this is, this is great about you and what you do is you're very informative. You always open my mind and I'm sure all your listeners' minds 
With that said, I have a question for you that I feel would be very helpful to me. If you were to rewrite the movie that we made, what were some things that you would want to see from it? Just for the record, like being an enthusiast and a professional on this, what would you have wanted to see? Well, I guess I would like to have... The thing about the movie is that it's it's I see it very much as a um, recreation of the home videotapes, not as a documentary. And as a recreation of the, the home videotapes, of course, you don't have the arrest, you don't have the, the trial, you don't have uh, the stuff leading up to the murders, as you said, the building of the bunker, Charles uh, coming home from the, from being in the military. Uh, them meeting up, uh, them stealing a lot of guns, I think, and celebrating doing that. You don't have that, and 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 that's very natural because this is a re, uh, recreation of the home videos. But in the home videos, that's why I've been asking you if if you have access to the the whole set of the videos that they made. Is that although you have Yes, you have uh, a few explicit scenes. They're very short and they don't show anything. I would perhaps, I see that there are reviews on, online. Uh, yes. They think that, that you went too far. I would go the other way and say that, well, if you're first going to, to do this uh, whole, uh, let's keep it as real as possible, I would do it all the way. I would, I would show the whole thing. like. Hold nothing back. Show full nudity. Show show the woman getting her hand crushed in the vice. Show them chopping up the the bodies. You know all that stuff. Just just show the whole horror of it. and keep it bleak because uh, the the great thing about the movie, the the thing that I really like, is how, as you say, you don't sensationalize it. You keep it very mundane. You keep it low key. You keep it bleak. So keep that, but I would probably go even further and and have even more of the the horrors, horrible stuff that they did because that's one thing that at least I do in my show here on on the Serial Killer podcast is that I I go into very much detail. I I tell the listener not just who the killers were and what they did. I go into very much detail and explain how. They did their terrible things. And it's not because I think it's fun with torture porn or anything like that. It's that I think it's important for people to understand how horrible murder and sexual torture actually is. And it's very difficult to get a feel for that in today's society because murder is portrayed almost clinical, almost... um, inhuman where you don't really have any real feeling of of the terror for an example i in my one of the earlier episodes i did i talk about a guy who murdered his women using his hands to choke them and when you see a hollywood movie about someone getting choked it's very you almost get impression that it's painless that the guy just he, he holds the woman around the throat. She gasps a little bit, maybe thrashes a little bit around, and then she's silent on the floor. But being choked 
to death is actually one of the most horrible and painful ways you can die because ligaments gets uh, gets ruptured your trachea gets crushed uh, you often not just don't just get your uh, airways stopped you often drown in blood because of the wounds that that that, that causes inside so it's uh, i think it's important when you're going into detail about what serial killers did to expose the full horror you know i i love that you said that and i love that you commented on the comments that we've been getting because we've had numerous comments telling us that we've gone too far and i love that you said we didn't go far enough <laughs> i love that you said that because now it opens up this question and i wonder when it comes with you know with viewers just viewership us alone what does it say about those people who said it went too far it was rape porn it was torture porn it shouldn't be on amazon prime this garbage is just pure sodomy it almost seems and then of course you you say the other angle which is it didn't go far enough which again i love that you say that glad to hear it i think it's it's down to it's probably the venue if it's on amazon prime they're used to silly series and top gear and uh you know mainstream blockbuster movies and then comes along this very real very different uh movie and it catches you by surprise because you it's difficult to get a to get a hold of okay what are what are, what are these guys trying to make here what is this for me it was it was really good because um I had seen a lot of the home movies of Leonard Lake and, and Charles Inc. beforehand. So I immediately recognized, and I think I understood what you were trying to do, and I really appreciated it. But if you're, let's say, a couple sitting on the couch going to binge something on, uh, on Amazon Prime, and uh, they're used to seeing like bland serial killer uh, documentaries like, for example, uh, uh, Mindhunter, where very little detail is given graphically, and then they go into uh, into the Miranda murders, and then you see this this fat guy getting uh, getting his rocks off some poor woman in uh, having her hand in a vice. So of course, uh, it's probably the, the the contrast with the other material available on that venue. That's that's great information, and you know what? I'm like my first thought is. Next time, we're going to need you as our consultant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds great. I charge. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Um, on a side note, have you had time to listen to my podcast yet? Yes, I have. And, you know, it, this, is the, this is the great part about what you do. I feel, I mean, you, you said it like you, well, no, I think the first thing is your voice. I think that's the thing that got me drawn to you. There's something about your voices for starters. And again, you're very detailed and you're very explicit. I feel like the element of being explicit is something that is necessary. And when you gave me that advice, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell Matt Rose Valley, our director, to make sure to listen to this, especially this part of the segment, because that advice is true. I almost feel that we didn't go as far as we should have. And 
And that's why I kind of made that statement about consultant, because I feel like you completely get what needs to be done when it comes to with, with serial killers. I feel like we were, we were on a weird space with this because we thought we might go too far and that we wouldn't have a venue to even have it so people could watch it. That was like our concern. Like we would make something that no one would watch. Well, I will be happy to be consulting on any future projects. So, uh, so feel free to get in touch regarding that. And, uh, and thanks a lot regarding my voice. That's the main criticism that I get from my listeners. It's, it's very much a love-hate thing. Either you like it or you don't. You know, I, I really love it. And I was worried because like even knowing like your, your, your other podcast, knowing that I was coming on, I know my energy is completely different. And I was worried of how I was going to approach the interview with you because I feel like I, don't, I didn't want to break your style. Like the kind of guy I am, I'm really like I've got this high energy. And even playing Charles Ng, I had to tone that down. So if you... Or when you watch the film, you'll notice that I'm completely different than, than the Charles Ng character. So even yeah. getting in that space is, took a lot of acting. <laughs> I very much can see that. In the movie, you play, uh, it's, it's so good. It's very well made. And it's creepy. It's, uh, I have to say, it's that Charles Ng guy, he's like the ultimate creep. The way that he talks, the way that he's, he's almost, he's almost rat-like in the way he crouches and, and, and approaches the women in, in his hunched sort of down, down on the ground kind of way is, uh, and climbs on top of them like a rodent. Yeah, it's very good acting, I have to say. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate you saying that because right after that, I actually got um, hired to be on the cover of a romance novel. It's actually the cover of my Facebook picture. So I went from like romance novel from Charles Ng, who's like a rat guy, creep face guy, then straight into the cover of a romance novel, which is so hilarious to me. <laughs> Those are two extremities that I feel like should not be mixed together because you wouldn't want to see Charles Ng on a romance <laughs> no. novel cover ever, 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 ever. <laughs> No, he is. Um, I mean, you, you do look better than than Charles Ng. I have to say, he uh, he is not a handsome man, Charles Ng. He, uh, especially now, he's gained a lot of weight in in prison. Yeah, he looks terrible. Uh, right. So, uh, moving uh, a bit on here, you mentioned that you did some research, of course, in preparation of the the movie, excluding the collector. Did you read any other books about the Miranda murders? Yeah, actually, yeah. there's one in particular that I really loved, and it was called Die For You. Have you heard of that one? Nope. That one was one that we referenced probably more so than any other one. I felt like it was comprehensive, and it was a quick read. And I remember Matt and I spent probably a day or two just reading it it was like a day and then the next day we kind of went back but we finished it really quickly and 
we really fell in love with that writer. And from that point on, it was, uh, again, researching this is interesting because we, I, you know, Matt was it, Matt had a different angle because he was the director. So he wanted to make sure that it was stark and bleak and, and really mundane and dark and creepy. But I was wanting to make sure that we hit everything chronologically. And you'll notice that even in the Miranda Murders film, we have dates. And the dates, we made sure were accurate. I did notice that. It's one of the best things about the film because it keeps you grounded in what's actually happening. Right. So this is uh, a divisive question. Who is Uh your favorite serial killer? And by favorite, I, of course, mean the one you find most interesting and fascinating. I assume you, just as everyone else, do not admire in any way. This is a, this is a tough question because I know my go-to answer, and I feel like it's, it's, it, it feels so cliche. So I almost feel like, just, just to kind of preface that. And I, I wouldn't consider him a serial killer, but... You know, he kind of gets thrown into this mix, and he, and I'm sure all your listeners know because he's probably the most popular, was Charles Manson. And I know he didn't actually do it, but I was just fascinated with his charisma. Yes, Charlie. Good old Charlie. He's dead now. Yes, I, yes, I know. Recently. Yeah. The man with the swastika carved into his forehead. As you very correctly say, he was not a serial killer. He was a cult leader who uh, made his followers commit serial murder. So you can say he was a serial killer by connection, I guess. I think he got a... I mean, he deserved life in prison, of course. But um, I think too much responsibility was laid at his feet. Uh, My impression is that his cult followers... Their agency was taken away by the prosecutor in a large degree. I think they chose to do a lot more than uh, what Charles actually had ordered them to do. Uh, I'm probably going to have an episode about Charlie at a later date where I go into more detail about this. But uh, there's a lot of interviews with Charlie in prison. They're, they're fantastic to watch. He's so entertaining. And he's, as you say, charisma is incredible. Goes into uh, what he actually told the women and, uh, and Tex before they went to the, um, the Polanski household to murder everyone there. They had asked him, shall we go and, and kill these people? And Charles had said something in, in the form of, well, yeah, sure, uh, but if you do it, make sure you do it properly. That sort of thing. Like, uh-huh. very generic, very like, yeah, go ahead and kill these pigs, but just make sure you do it do it well as you do anything in life. Like, he wanted them to do it, like, thorough. But they, of course, went far beyond just killing. They tortured and they uh, stabbed up very pregnant woman in the belly and they they strung up a guy and tortured him and I mean they did so many awful horrible things and wrote on the walls I mean it's really like a horror film and I 
honestly don't think that Charles wanted them to do that. But yeah, it's it's an interesting case. It's, he is a very fascinating guy. Yeah, definitely. He really is. And I'd like to go back to something you said right in the beginning where you had difficult time finding the childhood of Leonard Lake and Charles Ng. And with that said, I'm interested in uh, Charles Manson's earlier days. And the thing that fascinated me, again, was not only the charisma, but is also his interest and passion as a musician, as a failed musician at that. And I feel like I would love to just see the evolution of how he became that cult leader. But before that, I I, I feel like that story before... Like you said, that bad rap that he gets, I would have loved to see him as the the struggling musician artist that you know worked with the Beach Boys. Definitely, and uh, there's uh, there's actually several several places you can go to find very good depictions of that, and one of them is uh, I think on Netflix, David Duchovny. He plays uh, in uh, a TV show called Aquarius which is yeah. great. I don't know why it hasn't been hyped more, because in my view, it's probably one of the very best depictions of true crime in a serial format out there. It's so good. It's very good. And it's about Charles Manson, uh, his cult, and uh, how they operate. And the guy playing Charlie is, oh man, it's so spot on. And he goes into detail in how Charlie really, really tries to to become a rock star. But his his whole childhood, he was in prison. So he doesn't know how society works because he hasn't been taught. His whole life, he's been he's been locked up since he was like eight years old. So so he doesn't have the capacity to understand how you you record an album. And that you have to do several takes or how a microphone works. Yeah, so all of these things are are totally foreign to Charlie. And he reacts, of course, very violently. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really good show. And I don't usually recommend other podcasts about serial killers because this is the one place you go for serial killers. <laughs> but uh, there is one podcast that covers Charles Manson in a way that I don't think I will be able to. That is the podcast. You must remember this. It's a really, really good podcast, and they have a whole anthology on Charles Manson where they go into so much detail, and they do it very, very well. So I recommend that to both you and uh, all my dear listeners. Gil, do you have any favorite fictional depictions of serial killers in film or book form that you would like to recommend? You think about this. Now, now we're talking fiction, completely fiction. Yes. And I'm a big movie buff, so I'm like thinking of all different kinds of films. And, and, and I'm thinking in terms of, of, of movies. So my first thought, just, just so you know, is I thought about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I'm not sure if that would qualify. But the first thing that popped in my head was Texas Chainsaw because I was a big fan of that film. And especially for the period of time 
when it did come out, it was actually one of the films that inspired the style of our film, The Miranda Murders. We wanted it to have that grindhouse, creepy feel like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's uh, definitely a film about a guy killing several people with a cooling off period in between. So, yes, it's a serial killer film. And it's uh, inspired by a very true killer, serial killer or not, called Ed Gein. Yes. And I'm going to do an Ed Gein episode later this year. So uh, keep a head out for good old Leatherface. So finally, Gil, before we, uh, we log off and uh, say our good nights, any future projects that you are working on that our dear listeners should be on the lookout for? And... Where can they go and buy your movie, The Miranda Murders, or stream it? Okay, so one of the latest projects that we're working on was a play that Matt and I wrote about another person who murdered his wife and mother-in-law in front of his kid, set in Paris. And this is also a true story. And... We wrote it as a play and I was able to perform in it. And one of the reasons why I played in it was because he was a famous Filipino painter in Paris in the 19th century. And this story's never been told, but we did the research, ended up writing the play as a magic show slash murder show. Then we adapted it. And right now we will be filming this springtime of 2018 and the title is the dark side of juan luna based on the life and murders of juan luna which is a true story so that's the current project that we're in pre-production and for anybody interested in seeing the dark bleak mundane film of the miranda murders you can see it on amazon prime if you've got it or you can go to amazon and check it out there Fantastic. Gil, it has been a true pleasure talking to you tonight. Uh, Hopefully you will get in contact with me regarding that consulting uh, commission. Uh, I hope you had a good time on the show as well, and I wish you the very best. I wish you the very best, and thank you again for having me on your show. It's an honor, and it's so cool to be able to have your voice with mine. I just find that Awesome. Great. And so, dear listener, ends the tale of the Miranda murders. The next episode of the Serial Killer Podcast will air on the 1st of February, 2018. So, as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned. I have been your host, Thomas Weiborg Thun. Doing this podcast is a labor of love. Also, this podcast has been able to bring serial killer stories to life thanks to you, dear listener, and especially those of you that support me via Patreon. You can do so at theserialkillerpodcast.com slash donate. There are especially a few patrons that have stayed loyal for a long time. Ward, Wendy, Thomas, Craig, Charlotte and Brandon. Your monthly contributions really help keep this podcast alive. 
You have my deepest gratitude. As always, thank you, dear listener, for listening. And feel free to leave a review on your favorite podcast app or website. And please do subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. Thank you. Good night and good luck. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.